be in John chapter 8, verses 12 through 29 today. And this is an interesting passage in that most scholars believe that Jesus is still at the Feast of Booths here, which I tend to agree. And we remember we talked last week, or last time we were together, we had snow last week. Um, the first 11 verses there in John chapter 8 may or may not fit into that Feast of Booths situation, but this definitely does, just based on the context. And here Jesus begins with this statement that he is the light of the world. And so as I began to contemplate what that means, it made me think of light and, of course, then the opposite of that, which is darkness. And as many of you all know, my wife used to work at Mammoth Cave National Park, and her family is very closely linked with the park, all of them having worked there at some point in their lives. Her dad made a career of it, and they still live in Cave City, which they just came from this morning. So uh, just a regular cave family. Um, so I took a cave tour at one point, and it was great. It was a nice, uh, fun time. Emily and I went together. We were a lot younger than we are now, maybe 20s, early 20s or so. And we went together, and it was pretty neat. It was what the historic tour, I believe. And uh, lots of small passageways, and then great big caverns, and uh, the cool formations. All over the place. I mean, all the stuff you'd expect to see in a cave, uh, except for Mammoth Cave is Mammoth. So it's a lot bigger than the other things. Uh, I, I was overwhelmed, just fascinated with all of it. And of course, thankfully there was electricity inside and nice lit paths and it made us feel safe. We didn't have to have these torches. I don't think I would know what I was doing with a torch. I've never had to use one. Uh, closely monitored. Everybody knew where we were. They had radios. I'm a little weird about stuff like that. So it's kind of nice to know that anyone knew where we were. There was no need to be afraid. Uh, however, at one point... They stopped, and I can still remember it was this big rock, and we were like, they stopped, and they said, all right, we're going to experience what true darkness is. And it's, and, there, and the cave guide said, it's a darkness that you can feel. I was like, all right, this should be cool. So I wasn't sure about that claim, so I was definitely welcome to experience it. Though I did have, again, a little bit of trepidation about the lights being turned off and turned back on again, and maybe they weren't going to work, or I don't know. Uh, I, just, I can think my way into a real tight corner pretty quickly. Um, so they they turn the lights off, and I've been outside at night, and I've been outside at all hours of night, and I've been outside during a new moon when there's no light out there and there's storm clouds over, and I've slept under the stars, and I've slept under dark clouds, and I've seen dark, but I've never seen anything like this. I actually didn't see anything. Uh it was really, really dark. And I've been in a building, you know, where they turn the lights off and there's no sun coming in. And it was even more dark than that. It was disorienting. Like the kind of dark that makes you want to get on the ground because you know it's there. Because you don't know where anything else is. I, mean, you, I don't know if you've ever felt that. It was crazy. I mean, you could literally feel your skin reacting to the dark. It was a darkness you could feel. You know, darkness isn't a real thing. In, this, in that sense, darkness is just the absence of light. It's not its own thing. But it sure did feel like a thing that day. It was very profound. No one spoke. No one moved. And when they turned the light back on, it was like the sun was shining directly into my eyes. It was so bright, it was nearly blinding. It was after kind of waking up after this long sleep. It was kind of crazy. 
And so in today's passage, Jesus makes a sharp distinction between dark and light. Something that has been he's been building throughout the book as we've been going through this, a very common theme. And particularly during the Feast of Booths, I think it is very poignant that he would do so. And so we're going to look here at this text divided into two main points. Those that are living in darkness and those who have seen a great light, like we looked at this morning from Isaiah. And so with that, let's look at the text together. uh, Not Isaiah, John chapter 8, verses 12 through 29. Let's stand together as we read from God's Word. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I came from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered him, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. And so he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your skin or in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I'm going, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. And Jesus said, said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. And verse 30, As He was saying these things, many believed in Him. Amen. This is God's Word. You can be seated. So just for a bit of background here, we're still at the Feast of Booths, and you remember the Feast of Booths was this ceremony remembering the time that they spent in the wilderness, and they would they would make these tents and sleep in the streets, and they had all these symbols that represented the time that they spent in Israel. And at this time, in the ceremony, there was a candle lighting ceremony, which is another part of the Feast of Booths, and this commemorated the Pillar of Fire. 
that would lead the Israelites through the wilderness. So let's, let's remind ourselves of the pillar of fire. Let's turn to Exodus 13 real quick to see this. Exodus 13. Now, Exodus 13 is interesting in that it comes before they cross the Red Sea. So this is between Egypt and the Red Sea. This is, and this pillar of fire is helping them go. Verses 17 through 22 of Exodus 13. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying that God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud, cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart before the people. Pretty incredible. We can't really imagine what's going on here. I like to think of some like big fire tornado or something in the in the sky. That's kind of how I picture it when I think of this, but we don't really know what it was. The people of Israel, though, we have to understand this, were led out of Egypt by the Lord himself. Moses was their leader, their human leader, sure, but the Lord himself was their general. He was the one that led them out of the, the land of Egypt. He was the one that stood before them, whom they followed. He was the one that said, we're not going to go this way because it's not in your best interest to go this way. We're going to go around this way so that you won't be afraid. And can you imagine the ominous sign coming through the wilderness of this, not only this giant mass of people, but this giant fire tornado that's following or that's leading them? This was an ominous sign to any would-be attackers, but this is also the real and threatening presence of the Lord Almighty himself among his people, their deliverer, their leader, taking his captive people and leading them to safety into the promised land. And this should remind us of the water ceremony that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. And Jesus, was, he stood up and what did he say? He said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He was just simply taking this Old Testament idea, helping us to understand that these types and shadows in the Old Testament ultimately come true in him. And they all, they all come to life, and they all have substance in him. And so this candle lighting ceremony is no different. The Israelites were lighting these candles to commemorate the pillar of fire that led them through the wilderness. Jesus is just making sure that the people there understood that, that was him. Because many of them are doing what? Walking in darkness. And not just the darkness that they might have seen in the Egyptian sky, 
or maybe even the darkness that, remember in the plagues, when the, the plague of darkness was, I think it was the ninth plague, and the people had, it said literally that the people like got in place and didn't move for several days. The people of Israel, Egypt who walked in darkness, the darkness was so dark they could feel it. That's what it says in the scriptures. This isn't that kind of darkness, because that's a darkness that can be overcome. But the darkness that they're walking in separated them from eternal life and from the love and care of their sovereign Lord. And there is Jesus, their sovereign Lord, to offer it to them right there. So let's look at that. Those, let's look at those living in darkness first. So Jesus stands up and he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows after me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so then you have the Pharisees' first accusation. What do they say? Well, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Pretty plain. And we've talked about this before. We, when we uh, talked about the passage where Jesus defends himself and not needing a second witness, and the passages like Deuteronomy 17 and others that call for two witnesses to uh, talk about the testimony of a murderer or the testimony of idolatry and if, you, if there's a second witness, then a death penalty can be ensued because of that, those are death penalty type uh, accusations. So the prevailing idea in Jewish culture was that in order to make a claim, any kind of claim, you needed to have the corroboration of at least one additional witness. There, you couldn't make a claim about yourself and expect it to hold any water unless someone else also was making that claim about you. And what is Jesus' response? Even if I do make a claim about myself, my testimony is true. Because I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. Jesus' origin is really the issue at hand here. and You have to understand that. The Pharisees felt certain at this point that they could trap him, which I don't know why they continue to think that, but they do. They could trap Jesus into kind of giving a clue from where he really came from, what he was really up to, because he hasn't been clear up to this point apparently, if you're a Pharisee, is he has some sort of hidden agenda that he's trying to get about. Jesus has been very overt about his origin, about his agenda, about everything. They just cannot see it. And what else do they say? You judge according to the flesh. Oh, that, what, is, what does Jesus say to them? Sorry. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. You judge according to the flesh. What does that mean? They judge by what they see. What does Jesus judge according to? Jesus doesn't come to make judgments according to what he sees, but he's coming to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. To sacrifice himself for the sins of his people and to raise up men to begin his church. Jesus has a different role on earth at this point. He says, if you knew me, you would know my father also. Another claim to deity, equating himself with the father. And just, just to go back here, you know, Jesus says, you judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. I want to be clear here that what Jesus is saying is he's not saying he doesn't judge because Jesus is the judge. And we talked about that, we read that from the passage this morning. 
but he's not judging according to the flesh like the Pharisees do. And so I want to make sure that's clear. There's not a contradiction here, as some have tried to suggest, that Jesus is just simply not judging the same way that the Pharisees are judging. And he makes this claim to deity. And again, not making he and the Father the same person, as some would use this text to suggest, but making them, how does the confession say, equal in power and glory of the same substance. What's the easiest way to figure this out? What do they want to do afterwards? Well, it didn't say that they wanted to arrest him, but it says these words were spoken in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So apparently, whatever he said upset them enough for them to even think about arresting him, but they didn't want to do it because it was in the middle of the temple and people would have uh, revolted. And again, many will say that this passage shows that Jesus and the Father are the same person. And this is actually a bigger deal than you might think that it is. Because I think for many of us who who believe the doctrine of the Trinity and understand it's seen in all of Scripture, we see this passage and we know that Jesus obviously isn't talking about he and the Father being the same person. But it's not so clear to everyone. And it's a it's a big deal in this part of the country, I think, more than more so than others. Because this this suggestion that Jesus and the Father are the same is a direct contradiction of the doctrine of the Trinity and a denial of the basic Christian faith. Jesus is not saying that he and the Father are the same person. In no way did the people here think that Jesus was saying that he was the Father. He was saying that to know him was to know his Father. Why? Because they are both God. The Son making himself subject to the Father Father sending the Son to do the redemptive work, and so two different roles, but both being God. And so Jesus continues to make distinctions between himself and the Pharisees, the ones who would be a follower of his, and those who would not follow him. These distinctions. What does he say? I am from above. You are from below, where I am going, you cannot come. You will die in your sins, yet those who believe will live. These strong distinctions. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Light and darkness. And what is their question to this? Who are you? Verse 20, Verses 25 there. Who are you? How many times have they asked Jesus this by this time in the book? A lot. Again, Jesus has not been the least bit secretive about who he is, about the mission that he's on, about where he came from. They just don't like the answers that he's given. So why does he have to answer this same question over and over again? What is it that the Pharisees aren't getting? Well, I think that this is teaching genetics to freshmen, which I have to do. Uh, I love freshmen, uh, and in many ways I couldn't imagine teaching another age group. Um, I, I like this age group because this is like 14, 15-year-old kids, 
I like this age group because they really are able to learn, and they're also at this real crossroads in life where they're starting to have to make some real choices that are going to affect them for the long term, but they still don't really see themselves as that, and they're starting to have to act like adults, but yet they still want to play with toys. And so you have this real transition going on here in this age of people. And so I like to teach them. They're Because of this delicate state of mind and oftentimes lots of other dramas going on and perceived drama, they have a real trouble with the study of genetics. I can tell them about DNA and RNA and proteins and all these things dozens and dozens of times, and I do, trust me. But something has to click in their heads for them to finally hear it. I mean, there are literally times where I'm sitting in the classroom and I can see the light come on on a kid's face. And like, oh, I just unlocked something for them. And they're able to understand everything. There's been times where I've been sitting there and you can almost audibly hear it. Where everybody, I just said something different one way where everyone all of a sudden just gets it. And so the point that I'm making here. Why does Jesus have to continue answering this question, who are you? Because the people here that he is giving this answer to, it has nothing to do with them being developmentally incapable of getting it, which is what genetics is. just a developmental step that kids have to go through and finally kind of get. But this is a spiritual problem. This is not something that they can be talked into or convinced of. There's something about them that's broken that has to be fixed. I mean, for freshmen, it's just exposure, teaching them lots of different ways, and finally it just makes sense to them. But for the non-believer, for the Pharisees here, for the gospel that we preach to them, the true identity in Christ can only be seen when their heart has been changed by the work of the Holy Spirit. When the light of life finally shines into the darkness of their heart. Something which they have no control of, which you and I have no control of. Only the one who says, I am the light of the world, has control over that. And so then he says, when you have lifted me up, then you will know. What does this mean, when you have lifted me up? Then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing on my own authority but speak just as the Father taught me. What does that mean? Well, they will lift Jesus up soon on the cross. And they'll see him die. And from that one act, we're going to see many people believe. Even the Roman soldier under the cross believed. From that act, people will believe. And many others will see him lifted up out of the tomb at his resurrection. And from that act, many people will believe. Even further, many other people are going to see him lifted up into heaven when he was ascended. And from that, many people will believe. But for many others, they're going to see these things, and they're not going to believe. I can't imagine being there to see Jesus on the cross, to see his resurrected body, to see him lifted up into heaven to join the Father at the right hand. I can't imagine being there and not believing any of it was true. But there were there was it didn't. Because remember, Jesus said that some wouldn't even believe if they saw the dead raised. They wouldn't believe it. There were there were there's 
there that saw Lazarus raised in three chapters. They didn't believe it. Why? Because it's the work of the Holy Spirit alone that changes the heart of man, that makes the blind to see, that shines light into the darkness. Only light, only with a light can you see in the darkness, because it chases the darkness away. Jesus is the light of the world. He chases away the darkness of sin. He chases away the darkness of death. He removes them so that they have no power, so they have no authority. He eliminates them when we, when, and he completely eliminates them from our lives when we arrive at his heavenly kingdom. Praise be to God. This is the only hope for the unbeliever, that Jesus is the light of the world. Not only does the darkness perish in the light, but we see the world more clearly when we're in the light. That brings us to the last point here. Those who have seen the light, that's us. What do we do? Jesus says that we must believe in him to have eternal life. That we will die in our sins without knowing the Son of Man. We know this as believers. However, what do we do? We sometimes forget that we have Jesus. That we no longer have to wander around in the darkness. Have you ever seen a picture of those um, haunted house pictures? You know, the, uh, the real crazy ones online. I don't know what they're called, but. Where where they take a picture of people right as they're afraid, and they're like in these weird poses, and their faces are all contorted. It's the str- and it's just hilarious. It's like hilarious. I was sitting and laugh for hours. Okay, so sometimes as Christians, we walk around like that. We see something happen in our lives. We see something going on in our in the world, and we act as if we do not have a Lord and Savior. We act petrified that this thing can actually have some eternal consequence on us. We act afraid. We act like we're in some haunted house being scared by pictures that aren't real. Jesus is the light in the wilderness that we live in. And we live in wilderness. He is our cloud by day. He is our fire by night. What do we have to fear if the Lord of glory is leading us himself? We should remember this about our Savior, because he will be with us. He's been reminding us of this all along. And look what he says in verse 29 and 30. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus knew this. Was Jesus in the wilderness? Absolutely. Did he have anything staring him down that would have scared the rest of us, made us want to hunker down and not move? Absolutely. But Jesus walked right into it. That's not to say that he wasn't afraid because he was a man. But he knew that the Lord was with him. He knew that his Father in heaven was with him. And what happened as a result that day, verse 30? As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So what should we do? We should live as if we've been given this great gift of salvation. And walk as those who walk in the light and not in the darkness. When we speak, when we work when we raise our families, when we love our spouses, when we do what we do, the world will see that we are different because how are they walking around? Feeling, grasping for anything that they can. They're walking like those Egyptians did in Egypt, hunkered down to the ground, afraid to move because the world is a scary place if you don't know the God of the universe. 
Well, how do we walk around? We should walk around as if we have guidance, because we do. Because the world doesn't have to be a scary place if you walk around with the light. And we know those folks that are hunkered down in place, afraid to move, because their next move could be their last one or a bad one. And that doesn't mean as Christians we don't make bad moves, because of course we do. But we have a forgiving Father who leads us back to the light. The world is in need of that, brothers and sisters. They're in need of love and compassion of a Heavenly Father. They need the light of the Son. And it's something we can give them, because it's something we have. And so let us live as those who walk in the light. Let us share the light that we have with other people. We carry the light of the world in our hearts. We carry his words in the pages of Scripture. And this is something that technology allows us to have with us always, which is great. And so let us give this light to the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that as we go on in a light in a world of darkness, that you would help us, that you would lead us, be our pillar by day and by night. Lead us to the truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.